You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 43 Machina Memories Driving Stories. Oh Lord, won't you buy me? A Mercedes Benz. My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Driving in all its repercussions, in all its forms. I should mention before we even begin today, Harry, the word machina. Yeah. Well, the actual direct translation of the word macchina in Italian means machine, but Italians also use it to describe a car. So then the expression Deus, is it Deus et machina? The God in the car? No, it's Degos going to the machina. <laughs> Degos in cars, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but cars have great fascination for us because most of us everywhere other than third world countries grew up with cars as givens, as automatics. Our parents had a car, or at least one, right? What's really amazing, though, is in our lifetime, more than likely, we are going to see driverless cars. Yeah. And we're only talking 125, 130 years since the car was actually invented, or mm -hmm. the modern car as we know it. The official year given is 1886, mm -hmm. regarded the year of birth of the modern automobile. Who was that the beginning of it? That was the Benz Patent Motor Wagon by German inventor Carl Benz. Motorwagen. And then Mercedes came along a bit later, I take it. Yeah, but the real turnaround, even though it was credited with being invented in 1886, really didn't take hold until Ford in mm -hmm. the U.S. with the Model T, Model which T, came out yeah. in 1908. Yeah. That's when things really ramped up. And it's fascinating because there were lots of other models around that time. Mm -hmm. But... Whenever people talk about an old car, they always say, oh, it's an old, it's like a Model T. Right. That model goes down in history as famous. And, of course, you had to crank the engine to start it. Mm -hmm. right? The original ones, yeah. So there's still a lot of manpower involved in driving mm -hmm. back in those days. Mm -hmm. And its top speeds weren't very high. No. As well, well, they didn't have the roads to support that either. Yeah. You know, the cars were built before we mm -hmm. had the roads. It's interesting. You know, I just saw not too long ago a uh, black and white film of San Francisco in 1905. Just before the earthquake. Be yeah. And it was fascinating. It was taken from the window of a pram, a streetcar, mm. going down the middle of the main street there. And what you saw was, first of all, no traffic lights, just vehicles and people and horses. Sharing the same road. Crossing willy-nilly, totally randomly, mm -hmm. and people not getting killed. <laughs> uh, but cars, bicycles, horses, incredible. Not uh, that long ago. We're talking 110, 115 years ago. That's right. Because technology has evolved quickly, the car has evolved along with it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we have seat belts and airbags. Seat belts introduced in 1955-ish, and then legally in the 70s, right. you had to, Where you uh, had to wear, have them uh, and wear them. Mm -hmm. And airbags came a bit later, early late 70s. 70s. Late yeah. 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And so here we are now in a place where you have GPS systems in cars, you have driverless vehicles becoming developed, 
very sophisticated computer technology that runs vehicles mm -hmm. and a totally different machine to what was the original idea. Yeah, so in terms of the machine, let's talk about how we experienced it growing up. Mm -hmm. Because the car has been central, not just to our lives, to hundreds of millions of people. Yeah. We actually shape a lot of our life around the car, almost idolized. Well, my dad drove, he was a baker, and so he drove a bakery truck every morning, did his deliveries, and I got to sit in the back seat or in the back of the truck, in amongst all the racks of the steaming donuts and eclairs and hot cross buns. Oh, right, right. As a little kid, I can't tell you what heaven is sure. like, but that's heaven for a kid. <laughs> and you were literally sitting in the back with no seatbelt and yeah. being bounced around as the vehicle's moving. That's right. No seatbelts. In the mid to late 50s, I would have been eight, nine years old. People could smoke in vehicles, no issues, really. Right. And then my next sort of memory of cars was my brother and I standing outside the Odeon Theater on Queen Street mm. on a beautiful weekend. I think it was a Saturday. And suddenly my parents pull up in a brand new, spanking new, sparkling new 1957 Plymouth with the fins on the back, two-tone, red and white. I remember those cars. With, uh, it had push-button transmissions, and, which I don't think lasted all that long in the history of the car. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was fascinating and just a beautiful car, and we were just overwhelmed. You said it was 1957. Yeah. A year before I came to Canada, but I do remember those cars. I do remember those fins. And I still say to this day that the 50s for me was one of the clunkiest design eras of vehicles. <laughs> Never have I seen so much wasted metal. Hey, you didn't metal. like tanks? <laughs> I like a good tank on the oh road. <laughs> you felt safe in them. Yeah. The trips were great because you'd bring picnics. You'd sing traveling songs in the back of the car like... A hundred bottles of beer on the wall, a hundred bottles of beer. If one of those bottles should happen to fall, 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah. And well, basically it was an event. It was a family it was event. event. Sure, it was an event. Did you go with other families? Yeah, occasionally with yeah. cousins. We, we did a lot thing. of that in the early 60s. We came yep. here in, uh, I came here in 58. We didn't have a car until 1961. But I remember those early to mid-60s where a number of people, typically friends of my father who he worked with, there'd be three, four families, and we'd uh, have a convoy of vehicles going up the newly built 400, which was mm. brand new, yeah, uh, heading up to Georgian Bay or whatever for the day. Yeah. There are lovely memories. Those are wonderful memories. Mm -hmm. And our parents took care of their cars. Yes. Uh, they kind of had to, and they knew their cars more than we do ours now because of how complicated they are. But back in those days, I think a lot of drivers they knew. Put the, they actually put their hands in the engine. Exactly. Change the spark plugs, change the oil. Yeah. You had your head under the hood a lot more often. Mm -hmm. The radiator would blow and get overheated, oh, yeah. and you'd have to let the yeah. steam, the steam. <laughs> come out, right? And search around for water to top yeah. it off. Stuff like that. I so it was an adventure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Was your dad's car standard or automatic? I only remember the 57 Plymouth, and it was a push-button transmission, sort of in between, right? It would be automatic. Automatic, yeah. My father's car, for many years, was a three on the column. Oh. Gear shift. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned to drive on was a standard vehicle. But not on the column, on the floor? No, I actually learned on the column because I learned to drive in a 1970 Hornet. Uh-huh. 
And my father still had three on the column on that car. That was the last one. Really? 1970? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. I learned to drive uh, standard on a road trip across Canada in a VW Beetle. Oh. And my friend was teaching me how to drive standard, and I was constantly grinding the gears. Yeah. Tilting I, the car back and forth. Oh, yeah. It's just horrible. You know, till by the end of the trip, though, I could drive standard mm-hmm. quite well and drove standard for a long time now. Yeah. I actually learned how to drive a car long before I had my license because I didn't get my license until I was 19. Yeah. My father just wouldn't allow it at the time because he thought I wasn't old enough, mature enough to be handling a car. So anyway, yep. that's the way it panned out. And I've been driving a standard ever since. I've never owned an automatic. Yeah. Interesting. Also, when you grow up in the country, I didn't, but kids who grow up in the country tend to learn how to drive at a younger age. Sure. They're getting on their, their dad's tractors mm-hmm. at a very young age. Mm-hmm. and It's also generally safer. They're not dealing with traffic. They're, they're right. driving more in the countryside, and they've got to move vehicles for work purposes. That's right. And it's also good to know in case you know your father gets injured or other workers can't take the vehicle in a pinch, you can take over if you need to. Yeah, even if you're 15 or mm-hmm. 16 or something, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Even younger sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the city, first of all, you'd get uh, Tonka toys that you'd play with to introduce you to cars and, and then uh, plastic models. You'd models build plastic you, models you of build cars. Them. Yeah. And you'd have fun with that. And then maybe you'd get together with your brother and, and dad and build a, a go-kart mm-hmm. and, and get behind the wheel and have fun. But oh, it, all, yeah. it all served to introduce you to the yes. idea of driving and the feeling of driving and mm-hmm. And if your dad was responsible in teaching you, or your mom, in my case, mm-hmm. they would teach you the rules of the road and make sure to be safe, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Right? So however you come to it, driving is a really interesting challenge well, in a way. Well, it was also considered like a coming of age. Yeah, ritual to get your yeah. license. Absolutely. I can uh, still remember getting my license at Keel and Wilson. Me too. You I too? did my test there too. But I remember the guy that uh, was giving me a lesson that day. He was sweating because here I was with three on the column, 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday, one of the busiest intersections making a left turn. <laughs> he was praying to God that I wouldn't stall the car on the turn. <laughs> it reminds me of Bob Newhart in his... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we should add Bob Newhart's uh, driving instructor to the Vox Box Vox Box, for sure. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah. At least a snippet of it anyway. Yeah. Box, box. So, what's your story? The driving instructor. How do you, how do? You do? Uh, you're, you're Mrs. Uh, Webb, is that right? Uh, oh, I see you've had one lesson already. Uh, who is the instructor on that, Mrs. Webb? Mis- Mr. Adam. I- I'm sorry, here it is, Mr. Adams. Uh, just let me read ahead and kind of familiarize myself with, with the case. Um... How fast were you going when Mr. Adams jumped from the car? (laughs) Seventy-five? And where was that? In your driveway. How far had Mr. Adams gotten in the lesson? Backing out. I see you were backing out at 75, and that's when he, that's when he jumped. Uh, did he cover starting the car and the other way of stopping? Uh, what, what's the other way of stopping? Huh? Thro- throwing it in reverse. That, that's right. Oh, that would do it. You're right. That would do it. Um, 
All right. Uh, you want you want to start the car? Uh, Mrs. Webb, you just turn on the lights. You want to you want to start the car? <laughs> they all look alike, don't they? <laughs> they I, I don't know why they design them that way. Um, all right, let's let's pull out into traffic. Uh, now, what's the first thing we're going to do before we pull out into traffic? What did Mr. Adams do before he let you pull out into traffic? Well, I mean, besides praying, let's say. No, no what I had in mind was checking the rear view mirror. You, you see, we always want to check the rear... Don't pull out! <laughs> uh, 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 please don't cry. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but there was this bus, Mrs. Webb. Uh, all right, uh, the, lane, the lane is clear now. Uh, you you, you want to pull out? Oh, no, that, that wasn't uh, bad at all. You might try it a little slower uh, next time. Uh, all right, let's get up a bit more speed and, and gradually ease it, ease it into second. Well, uh, I, I didn't want to cover reverse this early. But uh, as, long, as long as you've shifted into it... Uh, of course you're nervous. Uh, I'm nervous. Uh, I'm not just saying that. I'm, re I'm really very nervous. Well, uh, just, just don't pay any attention to their honking. You, you, you're doing fine. You're not blocking anyone's lane. No, as long as you're here on the safety island, you're not blocking anyone's lane. Box, box. Tell me the story of your parents and how they met, because it involves driving in one form or another, right? Mm, yeah, it does. My father, uh, back in uh, 1951. As a matter of fact, the letter, as I recall, that he wrote to my mother was May 1st, 1951. He'd been passing through her town in southern Italy because my father would have been like the equivalent of a, a gray coach um, yeah. bus driver. Only there, it's a little different driving in southern Italy than it is here. Oh, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, he learned to be quite skillful. And the reason why he went to that was because during the Second World War, my father was a supply truck driver on the Russian front. And so it was kind of a natural transition. Yeah. Driving through the small town, he spotted my mother a couple of times. And then one day, he eventually uh, made a stop and sought her out and introduced himself to her father because that's the way you did it back then. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking southern Italy here sure. in the middle of Calabria, which oh, is yeah. <laughs> uh, next to Sicily. You know. If he's not careful, you find a horse head in his bus beside yeah, us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So that's actually how my father first spotted my mother, which led to their meeting and, of course, uh, eventual marriage a year later. Nice. Did they go off on a honeymoon anywhere? They didn't drive. They took a train, I believe, to Rome. Nice. Uh, that's where I was made, apparently. You were made in Rome? I was made in Rome. Really? Italian-made? Yeah, Italian-made, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was their honeymoon night. Nice. From there, they went up to Milan. Mm. And uh, my father's boyhood dream was to one day visit La Scala, mm -hmm. the grand opera house in Milan. Yeah, Because yeah. my father was a real opera lover. Unfortunately, my mother was not. <laughs> <laughs> the story goes, apparently, that she kind of half asleep through most of it, his moment. But anyway, yeah, so that involved a vehicle of sorts, a bus. Yeah, uh, that's that's a nice story. Yeah. Getting yeah. back to roads for a second, yeah. you were on the Autobahn too, right, in Germany? Yeah, when we went to Europe, we hitchhiked were you impressed? on the Autobahn. Yeah, totally. I mean, first of all, they take care of their roads in Europe. 
impeccable, isn't it? Impeccable. And the Autobahn, there's unspoken rules. And people know if you're Mm -hmm. going a certain speed, you move over. And the faster cars use the left and really do it. Over here, it gets all confused. And people are going fast in the right-hand lane and and slow in the left. It's an amazing piece of engineering, you know, because it was originally conceived and built just before the Second World War. Right. Hitler used to move some of his troops, convoys, on that highway. That was one of the reasons why it was built. Uh-huh. Now, the other thing about it, which is really impressive, you stated that it appeared impeccable to you. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's almost twice as thick as any other major highway in the world in terms oh. of construction. Really? And it also has a slight slope to it uh-huh. uh, so that everything drains off the road. Oh. Uh, so any oil from cars, small debris, it's designed to wash off the road because mm-hmm. it has sections of it don't have any speed limits. And it has That's to right. be in top yeah. condition because at those speeds, if, if there's anything wrong on the road, you're going to know it right away. As opposed to our system here <laughs> in the greater Toronto area yeah. <laughs> where there are potholes everywhere you look and the infrastructure seems to be disintegrating as we speak and, mm. and they're constantly trying to keep up with the wear and tear on the roads. We've got some pretty rough weather conditions sometimes here, too. That's right. We've got quite a variance in in temperatures from one season to another. Yeah. And then there's the freeze-thaw cycle. Yeah. And the winter driving here is tough, not only tough on the roads, tough on the cars, Mm -hmm. tough on drivers. I know people who virtually refuse to drive in the wintertime because Mm -hmm. they're so frightened of getting into an accident because maybe they don't know how to drive as well. In fact, in the driver training, it always amazed me that people could take their test mm. in the summertime, having no winter driving experience, mm-hmm. and then somehow be expected properly in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And people would freak out in the winter. And it's know? not only conditions, it's also sheer volume. You know, if you're living in the GTA, the sheer volume of vehicles. I recall when I was growing up, and I'm sure you did too, I remember literally in the early 60s on the 401, You could almost cross the highway on foot without looking twice. Sure. In terms of the number of vehicles that were utilizing it. Yeah, and there were a lot of smaller roads that Mm -hmm. weren't even paved at the time. I lived up in North York area near Shepherd and Young, Mm -hmm. and Hogs Hollow, it's called, this big hill that goes down into a valley and up towards Bathurst. Mm -hmm. It was just a dirt road when I was a kid. Well, when I came to Canada in 1958, Lawrence was still partially a dirt road. Was it? Eglinton was kind of considered the northern boundary back in 1958. Yeah, that's right. My first car, (laughs) a friend of mine who's a Scottish fellow who knew his car and said, I've got a car for you. Mm. And I said, oh, sure, Jim, what's, what's the car? He says, it's an Austin Mini. Oh, yeah, I remember you know? that. Yeah. And so I bought this Austin Mini mm-hmm. as my first car, and it turned out that it was an Austin Mini Cooper. I think it was 1970s vintage, okay. and it had an MG engine in it. It was a racing engine. Mm. So I bought this car with a racing engine in it and a clutch that was really fine, made for racing. Mm-hmm. And I was just flying that thing. And it was just like a bat out of hell. And speaking of power, yeah, back in the 70s and 80s, so-called muscle cars, the Mustangs, the Camaros, the Firebirds, the GTOs, primarily V8s, V6s were not even that common. Yeah. And some of the smaller imports were four-cylinder cars. Yeah, uh, which is more standard now. Made such improvements in efficiencies, weight ratios, gas consumption. A lot of the things that happened in the 70s with the oil embargo uh-huh. changed a lot of things in terms of the uh, general technologies. Yeah. And then, of course, when you think about when we were growing up, 
<laughs> in terms of safety mm-hmm. uh, relative to today. Sure. You didn't even have the standard seat that was high enough to protect your neck. Your seat was at shoulder level. Yeah. <laughs> your head was completely loose. It was like a bus seat. Yeah. Today, people tend to adhere to numbers in cars. I remember being in a, a large Pontiac or a large Chevy of sorts with nine people in the car. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know six in the back seat and three in the front. You know, uh, on, sure. on each other's laps sometimes. Playing badminton inside the car. <laughs> Some of them were that big. You know, I mean, kids in the back of station wagons, they weren't even tied into seats. They were just literally uh, yeah. in the back right. on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> baby seats. Do you ever remember seeing a baby seat when you were growing up? Yeah, no, uh, sure. You just carried mother the held baby you in your the, lap. Mother held you in the lap. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. right. You hit your yeah, head on the yeah, ceiling yeah, and it bounced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the habits back then, too, in cars. I mean, it was very, very common. Smokers didn't stop smoking when they got into cars. And then they'd roll up the window and fumigate you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you wouldn't say anything because... No. So you didn't yeah. feel like you had the right to say, don't smoke. It was because mm-hmm. it's just taken for granted. Totally different experience. Different experience altogether. Driving is interesting. Another story, I was driving down 124 from Collingwood to Shelburne, and a woman on the side of the road was waving frantically at me to pull over. Mm -hmm. And so I pull over, and I look into the driver's seat, and there's a man, her husband, there with his eyes open and his mouth open and not moving Mm. and not breathing. Was he deceased? Yeah, he was Mm -hmm. deceased. He had actually had some kind of heart attack, likely, massive heart attack, Mm -hmm. while he was driving Mm -hmm. at 80 kilometers per hour. And suddenly he was there one moment, and then he was gone the next. And this poor woman, her husband's dead in the driver's seat, and she had to find a way of controlling the vehicle Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't crash off the side of the road. Commandeer it. Commandeer it, somehow Mm -hmm. slow it down and get it to the side of the road and stop it. And she managed to do that, amazingly. Locked out. Incredible. And then she flagged me down, and we did our paramedic thing and all that, and it was too late, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But that's another side of the road stories, right, of the tragedies that happened while we had our Humboldt tragedy of the Broncos hockey team right. uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And there are many of those, right? They mm-hmm. happen all over the world. And also pushes forward the technology of safety. It's definitely safer today than think- it was when we were growing up. But yeah. we didn't even think about those things largely. We just got into a car. We didn't think about, well, we didn't have seat belts. Right. Uh, designs were very different. I remember cars in the 50s in early 60s, everything being very hard. And heavy. And metallic. Heavy, heavier materials, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. Not, no fiberglass to be seen. Right? No, it was all metal. Yeah. And not rust-proof metal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I remember the engine blocks, too. Getting underneath the hood of a car was dirty business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all these polished pieces that covered. Everything was exposed. Your battery was exposed. There were no covers. Yeah. And you could always see the ground, though. Today, oftentimes, you lift the hood of a car and you look down and you can't see anything but engine and parts. I remember always being able to see below the car. Mm. It seemed more spacious. Maintenance was, I think, more critical part of running a vehicle back then as well. It seemed more frequent. And I think people hung on to their cars longer back then as well. These days, a lot of people lease vehicles mm-hmm. and or they sell their vehicle, trade it in for a new model mm-hmm. every three or four years. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think in those days, people ran their vehicles a lot longer, kept them longer. Well, especially working class or middle class people. Like I don't ever remember my father or my uncles ever getting rid of a car 
Right. Until it was Until time it was to get rid of the done. car. Yeah, my mother had an Acadian Beaumont oh. back in the 60s, <laughs> which we drove until it was falling apart around us, eventually. Yeah, yeah. But she didn't have the money to repair it. Boy, all this talk about roads and driving and travel and trips, it's making me hungry to go on a road trip somewhere. Right. Why don't we do a Thelma and Louise, you and I, do a Peter and Harry road trip. <laughs> to the local restaurant? To the local restaurant for some Hockley Valley coffee and oh, hit, the coffee? Ro- hit the road, Jack. Let's <laughs> hit the road, Jack. <laughs> you get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me, myself, I got nothing to prove. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.